When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finding death before death finds you. In this episode, Eckhart discusses a topic that is taboo for many, the subject of death. In the Western world, he says, denial and the fear of death has prevailed for centuries. However, Eckhart explains that need not continue. He says there is a much deeper dimension to who we are, one that never dies. And if we can get in touch with that transcendent aspect of ourselves, our fear of death will ultimately disappear. It's important to familiarize yourself with death. You can't really live in a wise way if you are not familiar with death. They go together. From the point of view of the physical vehicle and the form identity, one could say that every one of us is infected with a lethal virus already, but it's not a physical virus. The virus is called time. And in the end, it will consume you and destroy you. That's for sure. (laughs) So the outcome is already assured. The seeming solidity of our world is an illusion, especially in the Western world. The denial of death has been prevalent for a long time. Not so in medieval times, but since we moved into modern times. In medieval times in the Western world, Europe, humans were very much aware of death. It was all around them. Life was very unpredictable, more so than now, although nowadays it's also unpredictable, as we are seeing. But in medieval times, even more so, of course, so death could come at any moment. And you can see in old paintings, medieval paintings, many people on their desk or table, they had a skull, a human skull, to remind them of death. Because if if you're aware of death, everything else you have a different perspective on everything else. For example, if you were aware continuously of mortality, short-lived nature of the individual life form, perhaps nothing would be that all-consuming and serious anymore if you knew any dispute or disagreement or standpoints. And if you have a dispute with somebody, if you remember in a few years we'll both be dead, somehow you rise above it a little bit. This lethal virus called time, unless something else kills you first, traffic accident every year, 1,250,000 people die, many of them young. Many people in the Western world die of drugs overdoses of drugs which are connected with 
unhappiness and despair in finding something to mitigate the unhappiness and despair or lifelessness they feel and then they are drawn to drugs and then it kills them. They don't know who they are, they haven't gone deeper, nobody has taught them all the most vital things and not taught to young people. So mortality has been a taboo in the West for a long time, ever since medieval ages came to an end. In other parts of the world, death is not yet a taboo, it's still on open display, such as in India, where the dead bodies are cremated out in the open. Anybody can come and watch dead bodies being burned and carried through the streets and then being burned. That gives you more of a sense of reality, because if you deny death, you get, you get a distorted view of things. And not only the West deny death, even old age. Most old people are now in senior residences, as they are called. Whereas in other countries, still you see they are out in the street. So in particular at this time, people that you know may die before their time, some. Others may already have been approaching old age death and then through this illness they die just a little bit sooner. So it's important to face death, not kind of think about it in a morbid way, but to face to just to, to face it, the fact of it, the inevitability of it, and to see that it's very important, spiritually too, to be aware of the short-lived nature of all life forms, one of the essential teachings of the Buddha is the fact of impermanence. A lot of the fear that people feel, yes, there's fear of loss, but deep down, perhaps it could all be traced to fear of death. Because a fear of loss, if you fear of losing your job or fear of losing somebody close to you, well, that's death that's happening to somebody else. Or you have a fear of loss of job, loss of your savings, loss of home, whatever it may be, it's do you fear a kind of loss, a diminishment of through these things? And so it's these are little deaths when you lose something that was important to you. There's a little death there. Now I want to face death and talk about death just briefly, without necessarily giving you too much or anything to believe in. Some people believe, of course, death is, many people in Western world especially, but increasingly the East too, believe, of course, death is the end of everything, the end of you, because life, including human life, they believe, and that's still, of course, the mainstream belief, is an accident. Accidentally, these atoms and molecules have come together. The whole of life is an accidental conglomeration of atoms, total chance event, there's nothing behind it, that's the belief. There's nothing, there's nothing transcendent. The entire universe, the apparent harmony of everything, the amazing life forms and everything is just a chance event. Or as Shakespeare put it, well, he wasn't referring to that, but he, that is the modern view. A tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing dreadful view of life. And of course, because that even those humans who 
have not done any philosophical investigations for themselves. They have all absorbed it because it's in the mainstream culture, that belief of nothing there, chance events, you are complete meaning, there's no meaning. Any meaning they believe is, it's a fabrication. There is no, no meaning to the universe. There's no underlying dimension. I believe, of course, these are grave errors, but that is still the mainstream belief. And then there are some religious people who still believe that they have their own forms of belief of life after death. Perhaps they are a little bit better off than those who believe that there's absolutely nothing, it's all chance, there's no transcendent meaning to human life or any life. For most it's still, even the religious people, for most it's still, it's a, it's a belief, it's a, a conceptual idea in their head. It can perhaps free them a little bit from the fear of death, but I don't know how much. So I don't want to talk in terms of belief so that you, in order to go beyond the fear of death, if that is possible, is there another way rather than the belief that there is something? If you can sense that the essential you is not a visible entity, who you are essentially cannot be found in the realm of physicality. If it could be found in the realm of physicality, then a surgeon could open your brain and find you there, or find, find your memories, whatever, find your thoughts, who you are, but you are not there. You can't find a single thought because thought does not exist in the realm of physicality. In fact, science has no idea, no matter what they say, basic truth is, their ego sometimes, ego doesn't allow scientists to say that they don't know. They find it hard to say they don't know. But the basic fact is, science has no idea what consciousness is. Many scientists avoid the word altogether because they don't know what to do with it. Certainly there's a relationship between the physical brain and consciousness, but they believe that the physical brain produces consciousness as a byproduct of physicality. But that's all they can say. But they don't know even what a thought is. Where is it? How does a thought survive in you for decades, memories, hundreds of thousands of memories survive in you? I can remember the most crazy, insignificant things people have said to me 40 years ago. Still, so many things are there. Where are they? The entire you, who you are, who you are in your essence is not, you're invisible. That's the realization. You're essentially invisible. If you can sense that essentially who you are is an invisible presence that kind of inhabits the body, not as a belief. I believe that I'm an immortal soul. That would be an old term. But right now, in this moment, can you sense the, the essence of who you are as an invisible presence that pervades the entire body, but goes beyond it too? The mind has to become still for a moment so that your attention can move there. But your attention and it are actually a single thing. And again, there's a very still presence there. 
and even if you only have glimpses of it, then you, you have a kind of direct experience of who or what you are beyond the physical body. If you are very strongly identified with the physical body, then it might be more difficult. Your identity is mainly derived from the physicality, which happens to some people, particularly people who are very proud of their body or very unhappy with their body, either extreme. If you're proud of your body, derive your sense of self from it because it looks better than other people's, your appearance and body. It's fine, it's a limitation. I mean, appreciating if you're lucky enough to have a great body, it's wonderful. But is that all to who you are? So this sensing of yourself as an invisible presence, even if you only have it occasionally, can free you to some extent from the fear of death. That presence is timeless. You don't remember it. It's nothing to do with memory. It's nothing to do with what you have achieved as a person here, whether you're a big failure or a big success. is irrelevant. It's nothing to do with your future. It's just so comforting to know that that, that deeper self is beyond the decay of the body. Now the question arises, well, what happens to it when the body dissolves? Wait and see. I don't want to give you too many ideas to believe in. But at least there's something there that is uh, not subject to time. Because let's say you are 20 years now, and you can sense that. When you're 90 years old, you can still sense that. And it's the same. And then you're less fearful or no longer fearful of your own death, which will come either when you get old or sooner, or the death of other people around you or wherever they are. Then you can see that death on one level is very sad and tragic, and on another level it's the most natural thing in the world and part of life. And then when somebody dies close to you, you can cry or weep and at the same time feel that which is beyond death in you, which must be the same as that which is beyond death in that person who died. One could go so far as to say nothing ever dies, nothing real ever dies. There's only the metamorphosis of forms, the continuous birth and death of forms, life forms, bodies. So you can be sad when somebody dies, or you may be sad at even when people die that you don't know. And at the same time, these two levels, on one level death is tragic, on a higher or deeper level it's natural, and not tragic at all. And the two can coexist in you at the same time. I experienced it when my mother died. I cried, and yet I felt a great peace underneath it. If the peace could have spoken, it probably would have said, there is no death, only forms die. But it was just peace, it didn't say anything. And then a few months later, my dad died, (laughs) and they didn't even live together. 
And then the same thing happened again. I don't know if you've heard of, there's a famous spiritual book, it's called A Course in Miracles. I believe it's a, it's a wonderful book if you can look beyond terminologies. And this is relevant to what we've been speaking about. It says, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. That's it. Nothing real can be threatened. So what is it that can be threatened? Well, of course the body can be threatened. Everything in this physical realm can be threatened. It's subject to destruction and decay. Nothing real can be threatened. So there, is there something that if it can't be threatened, then it's not part of the physicality of what we perceive as the physical universe. Nothing unreal exists. In ultimate terms, and that's not just the course in miracles, it's in all Indian spiritual philosophy and so on. In ultimate terms, the entire universe is a kind of dream, a dream of the universal mind. You are part of the dream of the universal mind. Everything is a dream of the universal mind, where it's going. And then the universal mind, my suggestion is, is gradually awakening. It's becoming more conscious. But nothing unreal exists. So only what is, as is real exists, nothing unreal actually exists. In this realization lies a deep peace that is knowing the source of all life, which is God. The peace of God is not peace that is derived from some circumstance or something. Just a happy circumstances to give you peace. No, the peace of God is a realization of ultimately who you are in your essence. And who you are in your essence is one with what the universe is in its essence. That is the peace of God. Oh. And then you can relax and say, okay. But not as a belief, you know that this is all fine, but there's something beyond that. And I'm part of that which is beyond. So you might say then, as I say, well, I wouldn't mind in the realm of time, could live a few more years, maybe, perhaps continue to be a channel for consciousness coming into this world. But if that's not to be, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. Now, most people believe you need more time because they believe time will eventually enable them to find themselves, a fuller version of themselves. The worst thing you can do to a person is to remove time from them. And so you have no more time. And that happens, for example, when you have an illness and you go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, maybe six weeks. You have six weeks. It's virtually nothing. And uh, that would be devastating for most, especially, of course, if you're completely identified with this personality and the form. You've never sensed anything beyond it. And it's awful because you said, I haven't, I'm not But then there have been cases, some I knew personally, who were told this, and they knew only a few months or a few weeks. And because time was removed from them, they suddenly accepted it. 
They didn't go into, oh my God, oh this. And suddenly they were lived completely in the present moment. Like a, like a little child almost. When I was still doing counseling sessions years ago, I had a couple of people independently who had virtually no time left and they became enlightened beings, just the light of consciousness shining through them. And we just sat together a few times and they kind of just looked at me. There was no person there anymore. The person was already gone. The person had already died. But the knowledge that I have no more time didn't give any food, any fuel to the person anymore. The personality just dissolved already. And what was left when the personality dissolved was just the consciousness behind the personality and that pure consciousness shining through. And that is what you sense, get you get a glimpse of when you sense within and feel that you are lived, that an, an invisible presence lives through you. And when the personality dies, which is the ego death, then of course, in some cases, the personality dies before the body dies. And then that shines through, the, the consciousness shines through. And that's an amazing thing. In the Western world, the contemporary Western world, nobody knows what to do with that. There's no knowledge to refer to. Perhaps in more distant past, yes, they would have been recognized. They would have been called saints. Or in India, even nowadays, still more readily, they would have been recognized as holy men or women. Just look at them. Wow. But it doesn't matter whether they were recognized or not. They were not concerned with that. And time suddenly didn't matter anymore. What, what is it? Another 10, 20, 30 years, so what? No longer made any difference whatsoever. Because they realized that the essence of who they are, the total fulfillment of their lives, doesn't matter how old they were. The destiny of humans is that realization. Whether it comes to you shortly before you die at the age of 30, or shortly before you die at the age of 90, it doesn't matter. And of course, this is where the saying comes from. Find death before death finds you. So that means that's the death of the, the personality. Now, here, what we are engaged in through the teaching and the practice is a gradual diminishment of the personality. Now, some of you, when you're confronted with death or death close to you, as a very a situation involving death, it could be that suddenly your entire personality can also die. It could happen. And that was a wonderful thing. It's the greatest thing that can happen to a human. In the meantime, it's in, uh, quite enough to, that here, through the practice, there is a diminishment of you as a person. The person or the personality becomes somewhat less important and all-pervasive because you begin to sense there is something beyond it. And that something beyond it is more essentially who you are than the, than the person or the personality. And that something beyond it can shine through the personality as long as it's there. And then the personality is actually a much nicer personality, so to speak. It's not as obnoxious as most personalities. <laughs> and it's not such a problem maker like most personalities, but the dimension is completely missing. <laughs> then without that, personalities are just a nuisance. <laughs> you might have noticed. <laughs> now, with some people, you have 
that's shining through. There are people who have never come into touch with any spiritual teaching, and it's happening in them for some other reason, triggered by something else, and that's perfectly fine. So to have a deeper perspective on what's happening around you, because yes, so as we are experiencing this collective in conventional terms, to use the old-fashioned word calamity, if you experience this right now, which is to gain a deeper perspective on it is very important. Then you're no longer drawn into the hysterical, fear-mongering overreaction to it. And you are a light in this world. Your peace, because then there's, a, there's some peace in you. You become a peace because that presence that you sense is at peace, your connectedness with source. And then you can, can do a lot of good in this world. Even just your presence does a lot of good because you emanate a certain frequency. But of course, you, you probably will do then just be there, or there could be. You might speak to people, you may be active here or there to help whatever you feel called upon to do, but you're not devastated anymore. You, there could be the end of the world could be happen, and you would still know nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. Because the world, what we see as the world is, yes, one way of looking at it is you could say it's a the dream of the universal mind, it's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, it's a surface phenomenon. Underneath it, there are vast energy movements and there is an intelligence underlying it, and that's, we could say, to connect it with the other ways, the universal mind. Underneath it, there is an intelligence energy field that expresses itself on the surface as the manifest life forms continuously. But the life forms are here. What lives through the life forms is the universal intelligence underneath the invisible energy field that is the organizing principle behind all phenomena that arise in this world. And that is an invisible energy field. In fact, different energies, but all deriving from one energy and then separating into other, one energy field is the earth itself. The earth itself is a living being. It has an intelligence of its own. The earth itself is an manifestation of the universal mind, of the universal consciousness. And every human being on the, on the earth is a, is a manifestation of the universal consciousness connected with, with the earth. But the earth is not a dead thing. And this is why I will speak about this in more detail. But for now, just a brief mention, there were already five extinctions on the planet, total chaos, chaotic, total eradication of, in some cases, 60, 70, even 90% of all life forms in this, I believe the second extinction disappeared. And then how was it that each time out of nothing, the earth regenerated itself with even more complex life forms. Because that which was the, the underlying intelligence is actually much greater than, than our limited human intelligence. And it is vast, it has a totally different view of time. So it then produced new life forms. But just to know what applies to the earth, applies to each human. Underlying it, there is an invisible 
energy field and it, it holds the body together temporarily. The important thing is to be able to sense it. Then everything else, the world itself, is no longer seen as the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is unseen. So that frees you, to some extent, from the world. But you participate in it. There's an ancient Christian saying, that is very beautiful, that points to a particular way of being in this world. And the saying is, to be in the world, but not of it. That would be enlightened living. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. It shows the two dimensions. It's an ancient Christian saying, to be in the world, but not of it. And that really is for us, for you, to realize and to live, to be a helpful, beneficial presence in the world, but not realizing that your home is not in this realm. I like the English word home, H-O-N-E. What does that remind you of? The Indian Om, Om, O-M, Om. The sacred sound that points to the origin of all things. It could be either coincidence or it could be that they are connected because would not be too surprising because the European languages are Indo-European languages. They have many of their words have roots in Sanskrit. So what we've been talking about is pointing to the possibility of being peaceful or at peace even in the face of apparent disaster and death and so on. And it's sometimes only through the disaster that people find that dimension. There is a transcendent dimension to this universe, just as there is a transcendent dimension to who you are. You are who you are. There's the physical body and there's your mind. Is that who you are? In this dimension, the sense-perceived reality, that's not where you ultimately are. So. You are invisible. You can sense that when you become very attentive and go within. You can sense that the essence of who you are is that indefinable consciousness, the, the presence. It cannot be sense perceived with the senses. But where does that come from? What is the essence of all life? That's the light of the world, Jesus called it, the light of the world. And you are the light of the world, he said. That's consciousness. You are consciousness. Where did it come from? It comes from God. But where is God? And what is God? Well, we cannot explain what God is. God is transcendent to this dimension. It's not in the universe. There is a transcendent dimension. And from there, God emanates something into this world, like the sun emanates light continuously. So God is like a, the sun, but not part of this universe. It emanates consciousness into this dimension. And it's this dimension of space and time. And here, the emanation of consciousness is creating a universe. It's not finished yet. It's contating. The consciousness that you are is a ray from the one source of all life that we call God. So what we perceive as suffering 
the birth pangs of life forms in this universe. They are like a bad dream in the process of the universe in the process of being created still. It's not a finished thing. And there are the limited perceptions that we have create a very a dream that appears like a nightmare. But when you wake up out of it, you realize it, oh, it was only a nightmare. What does that mean on a practical level? What does it mean when a child dies in a seemingly innocent child or millions of people suffer in a meaningless way? Now, this is very strange. If, if every human being is regarded as an autonomous entity, it's very tragic. But I would suggest a different perspective, just as a to, to try it out, or a higher perspective. There's only one life, there's only one consciousness, and that manifests in countless forms, countless life forms. It's the indwelling presence in every life form, manifesting briefly, but continuously. And this one presence is the identity of each, let's stay with human beings, the identity of each human being is that underlying presence. That's the essence identity. Every human being is the same being on that level. That gradually, that same being that lives, takes on a temporary form and then dissolves. And in this continuous taking on form and dissolving as the form, there is an awakening process. I would suggest for a moment that you regard the entire human race, all humanity, look at it as a single organism. All humanity is one single invisible organism. And this organism is not separate from the source of all life. It is an emanation of the one source that we could call God if we wanted to. It's an emanation into this dimension of space and time. And every human is, I could say, a, a piece of God, a tiny fragment of God in disguise. That's a ray, like a ray of sunlight in disguise, every human. So the, the essence identity of every human is consciousness, is the light of consciousness, which is the light of God. And so what is evolving is the one human consciousness is undergoing an evolutionary process. Every human being that ever lived and ever will live is a tiny cell, to borrow a word from the physical realm, is a tiny cell in this, this evolving being. It evolves in this dimension. It becomes, there's more of God that flows into it. So there's a, there's a gradual process at work that in a sense you could say a spiritualization of all matter, of all universe. Matter becomes less and less heavy and physical, including the, the human body, but we don't, know, don't need to go there. But to realize that your essence identity and my essence identity and the essence identity of all beings is one and emanates from one source. And you can recognize it when you look at other human beings and you can... Now, the important thing is you need to be able to sense, if, if only faintly, the essence of who you are that is beyond the personality. 
the form, the form identity, physical, mental form, personality. The essence of who you are is not that. The essence of who you are is that which you can sense at this moment as consciousness. Without any memory or anticipation, you sense that essence. It's only in the present. It's inseparable. It's, it's called presence. The presence, the consciousness. And then, then you realize you no longer need to believe something and then you can intuitively comprehend what is very misleading and could easily be misinterpreted when you express it in words. Then you can sense that there is a transcendent harmony that in this harmony transcends the apparent suffering because what's suffering is just the birthing process of the one consciousness the birthing process of this one that is gradually expressing itself more and more fully through these forms. But the forms, you and me, do not have an independent autonomous identity. It just looks like it. We are continuously an emanation of the one. We are never separate from the one. And even when this body dissolves, the form that is beyond the body will still persist for a while before it realizes fully where it comes from, what it is connected to. Not the personality. The personality does not survive. But there is an essence that is you that survives for quite a while until it fully realizes its home. But gradually you live more and more consciously, which means when you have conscious connecting it with source, then all the upheavals of this world, which come in many forms, personal forms and collective forms, do not affect you anymore at the deepest level. They can still affect you on the surface level of your person. You get, oh, I'd rather be healthy than ill. I'd rather not catch the, this virus. Of course you would, but you're no longer whatever happens or doesn't happen in this world does not affect you at the deepest level where the rock is, that, that is the foundation, which really means the essence of who you are. So the only way to become free of being at the mercy not only of things that happen around you, you just hope that everything will be okay, but it's not always okay, can't be not always at the mercy of things around you and no longer at the mercy of your own mind, whatever thoughts go through your mind. That is the, the dreadful fate. Then your inner state of being is dependent on what's going on around you and then you're always fearful. Oh, I might lose that. Or this may happen. What, what do I do then? And you're at the mercy of whatever thoughts come into your head that interpret the world and interpret yourself in terms of their conditioning, which is from the past. So to become free, to become liberated, to become liberated from the world, or that you participate in the world, but with a sense of detachment. You're not, not bound to it or by it. So you participate in a more 
enjoyable and often joyful way yeah. in the affairs of this world and you have a relationship and you appreciate the good things without needing to attach yourself to the good things or the relationship because you, if you lose it you're nobody again because they give you your identity that there's nothing any more that you need for your sense of identity because you already have found your essence identity which has nothing to do with the things of this world or your mind. And that's a wonderful liberation when you do not need the world to provide you with ultimate satisfaction. Connectedness with the source of who you are, then you become free of the world and then you actually participate in the world in a, a way that, to use a, almost a cliche expression, that makes the world a better place. But what does it mean, make the world a better place? The only thing it can really mean, if it has any meaning, is to, it, it makes the world a more conscious place. So that humans begin to live more consciously. And that means no longer totally identified with their personality and the conditioning of their minds to, to a more conscious world is the new earth that I sometimes speak or write about. Now it seems very often that the new earth would more easily arise if the world would not present so many obstacles to the arising of a new consciousness of which the new earth would just be an outer manifestation. What we are really talking about, of course, when we talk about a new earth, we are talking about a new consciousness. It's not new, but it's the awakened consciousness. It's not new because it is timeless, but it's new to you, as it sometimes say in shops when you buy second-hand goods, new to you. If you haven't experienced it before, suddenly it seems like a new consciousness. It's a deeper dimension that had always been there, but you hadn't realized it. And when you suddenly realize it, you call it new consciousness. Why not? <coughs> so there we are. The new earth is the man outer manifestation of the new consciousness, which is the awakened consciousness. And this is your purpose is to bring this into this world by embodying it, embodying it, not just through your words, yes, through when you speak, it tends to be more inspired, more useful, more helpful, more good speech rather than destructive speech and action that you take, no longer dysfunctional, egoically motivated action. All these things are good, and even if you don't say or do anything, just the fact that you are here as representing the awakened consciousness, and even if you're not fully awakened yet, there may still be remnants of ego, that's good enough. But you represent the awakening consciousness on the planet, and that your purpose is to be there as that consciousness. Your secondary purpose is to have a fulfilling life as a personality, and the personality can never have a fulfilling life if you don't realize who you are beyond the personality. It's only the realization who you are in your essence that can give some sense of satisfaction on the level of your personality. 
Otherwise, you're always looking for yourself in this world and it's always whatever is frustrating. Every relationship will end in frustration. Everything you achieve ultimately will not satisfy you and you keep looking and looking. So here we are and uh, your job, your uh, mission is to align yourself with the present moment and whatever is happening here and see that it is an opportunity, this upheaval that we are experiencing at the moment and it probably will not be the first upheaval that's going to come on a collective level because this is a time for upheavals but it is also a time for awakening. The two go together. Just in a personal life you need the adversity, as we've seen, to awaken. It's an opportunity, but not a guarantee. And there can be a more collective awakening, if not, of course, not the whole of humanity, but far more humans uh, through experiencing the upheaval that not only we're experiencing now, that the upheavals to come in the near future, and they are inseparable from the awakening of consciousness and they are part of the transcendent hidden harmony behind the apparent opposites. And so what looks like tragic and unpleasant on a conventional lower level is actually perfectly fine as it should be on a higher level. It would not be happening otherwise. It's all part of the awakening of the human being and planetary awakening. And what awakens is not you. You don't awaken and I don't awaken. Ultimately, you and I are constructs, mental constructs. But that which shines through us, the consciousness that is awakening in this world, there's only one consciousness that awakens. So awakening is not a, anybody's personal achievement. It's only there when you recognize that the person is a temporary, short-lived, relatively insignificant construct. That's fine. You honor it as much as necessary in this dimension here. And something else is happening that far transcends the person, but would not even happening if it weren't for that person. It's only because the ego, the ego was and still to some extent is a necessary prerequisite for the awakening of consciousness. The very thing that seems to obstruct the awakening of consciousness is a prerequisite for it happening. That's quite amazing. In Buddhism there's a saying that says, if there were no illusion, there would be no enlightenment. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.